We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. True Faith Weekly Podcast, joined this week by Simon, Mickey, Ben, Richie and Mike. Hello, lads. Hello. 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 Uh, Hello. This week we're going to talk about Newcastle's defeat at the hands of Arsenal at the weekend. At the hands of Andre Mariner. At the hands of Andre Mariner. One or two controversial points to sift through. Uh, Mike is going to talk us through the three Premier League talking points um, and some special news this week. We'll have a podcast coming this Thursday with George Colkin of the Times, Mick Martin, True Faith Editor. That will be looking back at Newcastle's transfer window, what it means to the club, and the you know whether the words of Mike Ashley have borne fruit, and how Newcastle will fare for the rest of the season with Riviera up front by himself when inevitably uh, injuries take place. Remember, we have Friday radio show seven o'clock live, not this week, but normally it's live on Radio Northumberland. Uh, that's online at www.radionorthumberland.com, and there's still the Martin Hardy touching distance interview to listen to. Over a thousand people have listened to it already. Get involved. It's a fantastic book. Uh, and Martin's a really good guy. It's a really good interview. If you're interested in Newcastle United or football in general, you should listen to it. It's pinned at the top of our Twitter page. Follow us at TF Weekly Pod uh, and you'll have a great time. Lads, I'll jump straight into it. Miggy, what did you think of the referee's performance against Newcastle on Saturday? I just thought it was an absolute disgrace. Um, I've looked, obviously, the main point is the red card. I've looked back at it loads of times and he just doesn't have to send them off I don't think it's a red card I mean I can't understand why he's given and if that was the only thing he'd done in the match I wouldn't be as angry as I am but it wasn't a red card he, he's turning he's turning towards the ball not looking at the player he's gone for the ball and he's a fraction of a second late and he's stood on the top of his foot it's not like if all of those things were still the same and he he caught him on the shin immediately he'd say red card if he wasn't turning and looking at the ball, red card. But all of that put together and the fact that he, he hasn't really touched them that much and the guy's gone down like a sack of potatoes, 
made an absolute scene of it. It's just it's just not a red card, and the referee should should know better than that. Particularly after sixteen minutes, because you're just ruining the game completely. I think. Well, I think exactly that. I think he completely ruined the game. He's given a yellow card for basically every tackle Newcastle have made. Most of them, I genuinely don't think were yellow cards, particularly Colacini, who cleanly got the ball. You look at Arsenal's tackles in the game. Sanchez should have been booked just after half time. There was a few more as well. I can't remember them now, but. Essentially, I think the referee has entirely influenced the game in every respect. Basically, like people were joking around me in the stand. It was basically the fucking Andre Mariner show. It wasn't a match. It wasn't a game of football. It was just him flaunting himself around the pitch. And I just think that level of officiating shouldn't be allowed. He should be, uh, he should be fined or or banned or something. There should be some commitments for ruining a game of football. A televised game of football in the Premier League, which is worth millions of pounds, and he has single-handedly ruined it with incorrect decisions. Mm-hmm. He completely ruined the flow of the game. He bought into Arsenal's tactics completely. I know that Arsenal fans and manager are claiming that we went out there to kick them. I don't think that was the case. I don't think that was even happening. No. Apart from the red card, which was a bit of, like which might have actually hurt, the rest of them were just jumping as soon as they got touched. It wasn't a dirty game. There wasn't any particularly bad tackles. It wasn't. It was. There was nothing. There was nothing there. It's just, it's just a joke. Well said. Um, before we get on to other views on the referee, and I just want to bite you up a little bit. Um, I've got these stats. I've got, <laughs> I've got Google out. Last season there was an average of twenty-eight point seven fouls per game in the Premier League, which sounds like a lot, but it's only fourteen or fifteen fouls each, isn't it? Which isn't loads if you think how many niggly little fouls you get. Yeah. Um, an average card count was three point four cards per game. So what's that? That's kind of one foul in seven-ish, as we must. Three sevens are... No, nine. It's about one in nine, basically. One in nine fouls is a yellow card, according to last season's statistics. And like, I agree with everything you say there about every foul being a yellow card because on Saturday, there was only 23 fouls in the game and nine yellow cards, or eight yellows and one red, which is absolutely... That start alone, forget about what you think about any of the decisions. That start doesn't actually make any sense for there to be so many cards for so few fouls. The one the one that got me the most was um, Tovan. When he slid along the floor, got the ball, and Cockerline went about five feet in the air, and he gave me a card. The, when Yaldum won, when, when Yaldum got booked for descent, even though he ended up booking the player, so I don't understand how descent works, that was just after half-time. That was the period for me when I thought he's, he's lost it here. Yeah, the, ref, the referee has absolutely lost this game. He's not in control of the game. Mm-hmm. The Arsenal players can fall down, do whatever they want. You know what's really funny? I don't know whether he's got this through on time. I text you on WhatsApp literally the second before Mitrovic went off, saying every time Arsenal player falls down, he's getting a free kick. And that was like literally a yeah, press sent. And then he got sent off. But um, Richie, I know you kind of... You know, I don't know whether it was your actual view or not, but you said you might play devil's advocate. Do you agree with Mickey that Newcastle basically were beaten by the referee? No, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not playing devil's advocate just for the sake of playing devil's advocate. That's not it at all. I actually watched the game, and I actually think the referee did all right the first half. I do think I do agree. The second half, I think he. He set such a precedence to himself in the first half that the second half it, it, it did just descend into in the Andre Mariner uh, Andre Mariner show, and we talked about that the the bookings for Turban and, and Colaccini were were just 
joke uh, bookings. You know, I think I think um, by that point it was just getting a bit carried away. But at half time, I, I was kind of I sort of said to my mate, I was like, Newcastle with with just became completely uh, just ill disciplined the, 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 this half, and I'll kind of talk talk me through me with me reasons. So. Mitrovic, admittedly, when you see it, I, I mean, I, I didn't have a, even watching it on, on, on TV, I didn't have a good view of it because um, Mitrovic, his back was to the camera essentially. The referee had a perfect line of sight of, of, of that incident because he was, he was looking at uh, face on and he was maybe, I don't know, less than 10 feet away. That tackle, and I asked this, I said, if an Arsenal player had done that tackle, to a Newcastle player, he's Mitrovic has gone in studs up. He's, he, I, I know Mick said like he, he's, he's stood in his foot, but he, he has actually gone down the player's shin. And I think if the players, if the player's foot had been more planted, it's it's getting into that really nasty tackle territory. I don't think it was a particularly nasty challenge, but I do think it was reckless. And I do think, I do think Mitrovic. I almost get the feeling he's being kind of like. He's been trying to make a point. Like there's been such a ridiculous media hype over Mitrovic since he signed up. Being a bad boy, blah blah blah. He's a walking, he's a walking car, he's a walking car on the pitch, and he's and, he, and you know a couple, he's, he's maybe being unlucky with with some of his bookings. Um, but I just I just felt he, he's just gone looking to like make a point, like to say yes, I am, I, I have got like a little bit of an aggressive like, an aggressive side in this. I just think you you know he knows the referees are going to have his card marked, and he's and that tackle that he's done. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm finding it hard to kind of see that that title isn't being seen as you know a particularly. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a stonewall red card. I'm just saying that that, that title. You, you know, it, it, it's for me. It's hard to put a case against Mitrovic seeing red for that that card. Um, I think after that, you know, we, Newcastle were completely ill-disciplined. And Bember body checking when the Arsenal player was running through the pitch was again. He was just like, well, you, you, you you're going to pick up a booking for that. Wijnaldum, I think you, you mentioned before, you know, the, the Arsenal player was going to get booked, but Wijnaldum, you know, did the, the fake card in the referee's face, which I hate as a, as a fan saying that. And I just think there was, there was cases of Newcastle players that just kind of like, that, that didn't seem to get in their heads that Mariner was not feeling very lenient and they just, and they just basically did stupid things to, to, to get the yellow cards. So, I, you know, I, I, like I say, I think my, my, in, in, in summary... I would say at the first half, you know, some, a lot of the a lot of the, the the incidents that we were talking about yellow cards, red cards. I think Mariner got them right. Second half, I don't think he got it right, and I think he he did kind of just make it a bit, a bit you know about him. But you know, I just uh, I, I do think you know I, I, I think I think I think we were very ill disciplined that first half, and you know that's that's something that we've had in our game for you know going back one or two seasons now. No, um, I think you've put your point, your point across very well. Well, we've just been watching some vines here of um, of Mitrovic before he got sent off, and obviously there was the one where Paulista basically could have taken his head off, didn't even get a foul, which was a yeah. definite yellow card. And there's the one where just before he got sent off, actually, he's literally, I wouldn't even call it touched, you know, being near Kovchelny, which mm. makes no sense, but... I don't, know, I don't know, I've had my say. Lads, do any of you want to come back to Richie on that, Mark? Cause just I, I, sorry, go on. On, on the red card, it's, in the rules it says it's got to be excessive force. Uh, yeah. If that's excessive force, then you're going to be in the game five-a-side because it was, it was going for the ball, it was a tackle. I get you say it was reckless, but how many reckless 
Like, there's not the, many you know, tackles. You, you're, you're saying the rules. The rule is a reckless challenge is a yellow card. It was yeah. reckless, and that's all it was. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't excessive force, <sighs> and it wasn't violent yeah. conduct. I'm. I'm. So, I'm just. I just think that's a very, very. That's a very soft red. Like, how many times do people step on toes? Things when they're backing into someone to, for a header or something like that. Is is that? And people saying it was a stamp. It wasn't a stamp. He was going for the ball. It's not. You're not stamping to win a ball. Charlie Hannum was a stamp. That was yeah. a stamp. Yeah, and it's just. I think it was just. It was ridiculous. I mean, the the Palace game the week uh, a week or two before, um, where uh, Cockerlan had three yellow card yeah. tackles and yeah. didn't and got one for the whole for all three of them. Like was trying a referee trying not to like ruin a game and trying to keep a player on when he had no reason to do. Now in this case, it like. I get, but that's the thing. As a part of a referee, you don't want to you don't want to send someone off if you don't have to. And I just think that early in the game, it wasn't a, a, an excessive like bad foul. Cockerland wasn't injured. It <laughs> didn't, it didn't. I mean, the, the, the Cockerland didn't do him any favors. Yeah, like, but it, it didn't. It didn't warrant a red card. I didn't think, and it was just him trying to influence the game for whatever reason. Like early, I just think it, if he'd have used his experience a bit better, like the, the referee did, well, wrongly. With Cockerland, but he let him off. He basically, time. he basically asked Wenger to sub him. Yeah, exactly. He basically made it clear, get him off. But do you know what I mean? He, but he, he had two fouls there where there should have been yellows, and he let him off with the second one, which yeah. I sort of wouldn't have an issue with. Okay. The third one was a joke, but that there, I think, would have been warranted a yellow card. Have a word, at, like worst, have a word with Mitrovic and say, "Look, mate, calm down," or like, "I'm going to get you off." But I think a red was just very soft. Okay. Just, 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 just a very, just a very quick make a point. I, I, just on that. I, I kind of like, I, I don't know, I, I mean, I've watched this foul, I've watched it back, and every time I've seen it, I've all, I'm, my immediate reaction has been, if an Arsenal player had done that challenge with one of our players, I would be, I would be like, oh, that's a, that's a bad, it's a bad challenge, right, whatever way you look at it, in the sense that he's gone in, studs up, the ball's, the ball's gone, he, he hasn't just stood on his feet, he, he's, his, his foot is going, it is actually landing on his, his, his halfway up his shin, and to me, that's, those are the th- those are the kind of challenges that you see that are like the nasty challenges. And I, I again, I don't know Maybe whether there's nasty. I don't know whether there's intent there. I'm going to say there wasn't, but I do still feel that Mitrovic is is just came across very immature to me since he's like he, you know he's, he's had all this media ridiculousness over him, which I just think is is, is another story. That's ridiculous. But he's, I just feel like he's just gone out and just trying to make a big point about like him having this side, this this aggressive side, and he's just. And, and, he, and he's basically, you know, he's, he's given Mariner uh, to me a, a quite an easy decision based on his reputation. Okay, Mickey then sign. I I couldn't disagree more strongly. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, the first the first game he he was acting ridiculous. like a child. That we, was ridiculous. We'll all agree with that. The second game he got fouled. He, he was fouled. He got fouled and got booked for it. Uh, he, I thought he reacted badly, which was a bit naive. But, but, but this but, one wasn't wasn't the actions of a of a man angry or anything like that. He just he's just mistimed it because he's a striker trying to make a tackle. Yeah. The reason the reason the whole game went into that farcical way that it did is because he booked a circle after three minutes. If he hadn't done that, he doesn't have to follow it up with every similar like every similar tackle that he sees, giving out cards. It's. It was such a poor refereeing performance. I think it's right up there with, with the worst I've ever seen for just a referee dominating the game for no reason at all other than what... I don't know. Attention, is it? What? Is he is he just shit at his I'll job? Talk, I'll talk about him a little bit to finish this all off, but Si wanted to say something. Yeah, I mean, Mickey's half off credit. Just, just what you said there, Richie. Like, he's almost been sent off because he's built that reputation for himself for the first two games. 
if that's why Mariners send him off, that's a disgrace in itself. No, I, I agree. I agree, but this is the problem. It, look, look through, look through football. The previous, the you know, I, I'm going to say Lee Catamore is, 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 is a good example here. You know, I've seen. You know, he, he probably does. The players get like a reputation, and whether for right or wrong, I mean, for Mitrovic, I think I think the media from like not not actually knowing much about Mitrovic, just build up this ridiculous hype over him. But players need to players need to accept that that's just that's reality. And, and yes, I agree. Referees should not be making these calls based on reputation. They should be, they should be making these calls on the actual incidents themselves. But the the reality is that that isn't the case. And, and footballers need to be just need to be more mature, have a bit more common sense about themselves. And I, I just think Mitrovic is like he's he's just given he's just you know he's given referees easy things to call against him. And I just yeah, that's just it just frustrates. And I think McLaren should have like should have basically got got that message through to Mitrovic before. Before the match, you know, I, I, before the match kicked off, I was I was thinking, <sighs> Mitrovic is gonna, you know, his first first full start on his home debut, you know, I'm, I'm I'm nervous. I was nervous about about him, and and he and he kind of like after 15 minutes, I was like, ah, you yeah. know, my nervousness is being kind of backed up, but yeah, I, I don't know. Cool. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, th- I thought maybe you covered that well there before. I, th- I don't think he was. Um, a liability in this game I think it really was just genuinely unlucky that he was going for a ball and it's caught him like that you say you've seen you've watched it back obviously all of us will have watched it back hundreds of times just by the fact that it's been talked about so much hundreds is a bit strong but yeah well and the majority of those those playbacks have been in like super super slow motion super super high definition where you can see like the very tip of his football boot like rub down the lad's sock before he actually makes contact with his foot and when you watch it like that it looks so much worse than in real time like Instant reaction. If you look at all the commentary, instant reaction. Nobody thought it was going to be a red card. Everyone's like, oh, well, he's going to get booked here. If you listen to, to radio commentary, they're all saying, oh, he's probably going to get a yellow card here. Oh, it's red. Like, that's exactly what we thought. We thought, oh, he's, he's gone a bit, he's a bit, he's a bit late there. Nothing, nothing intent. He'll, he'll get booked here. And then everyone was absolutely astounded by the red card. And I think this, all, the, all these replays are just like kind of building a narrative that wasn't there. And that's not, not. And as you say, it's, it's 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 been easier to justify because, as you say, they've, they've given Mitrovic this ridiculous reputation after three games. Okay, I'm going to finish this one off because we'll have to move on. We need to actually talk about the game a little bit, not just the ref. Three massive points I want to make. Number one, why why is no one questioning his name, Andre? <laughs> it's just a ridiculous name for a man. And like, no one's ever like born in Birmingham, by the way. Andre, Andre. Like, he's got the fake tan to go with it as well. Um, yeah, Andre Mariner. Uh, I, I, Ben. I think you were here for this one. Also, you make you remember two thousand and ten. Ben Arthur scored one and Evan under Hooten, and we're just being promoted. He scored the screamer. Yeah, to this day, the worst ever decision I've ever seen in a football match was in that game, and Andre Mariner was the ref. And I'll, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And whenever I post it on Twitter, loads of people agree with us who are also there, saying because it, it didn't even make match of the day. We're one nil up, and fat Kevin Nolan. Was was one on one with the keeper in the six yard box, and what a, a Jagielka or someone just took him out from behind. He didn't win the ball. The ball was nowhere near him. It was in the box. We were through. We're going to win the game. And he didn't give a free kick. And like Kevin Nolan was laughing, like and the whole away end was just in utter disbelief that it wasn't even like a. It was behind him. He didn't get the ball. It just did. It was just the worst decision I've ever seen. It was one of those. If you remember playing those computer games where I used to be able to have the R two button, which was like yeah. a rash, like high, high, <laughs> yeah. like knee high tackle, like 
kick basically <laughs> from behind, and that's what it was. And it went and you Chris, Chris Hooten after the game again, hardly got picked up on. Just said that he, he couldn't even bring himself to ask the ref why it wasn't. <laughs> what you see was because there was no, there was just it was just so ridiculous. My final point to. to Kind of give my opinion. I was right next. I was literally in line with this tackle in the Phoenix Taxi's executive box. Thanks, Phoenix. Um, and it was right in front of me. The Arsenal bench didn't react. None of the Arsenal players reacted apart from Coquelin. The Arsenal fans didn't react. The Newcastle bench and Newcastle fans didn't react. Everyone I was sat with who had a clear, I couldn't have had a better view of it. No one in the world thought it was going to be a red card. And you can say maybe the referee knows more than us, and you can watch all the slow motion replays you want. I saw what happened in front of my eyes, in front like really close to me, live, and it just wasn't a red card. Yes, yes, you watch any tackle in slow motion, it looks worse than it is. He stamped on his foot, the the the, the tip of his top two studs caught Cockland's shin pad, which will have caused him absolutely no pain whatsoever. If you're gonna send people off for that every week, you're gonna end up seven against seven. It, it'll happen, and I think for and I, I don't want to open a can of worms here, but is Newcastle playing against Arsenal, whose wage bill is like eight times what Newcastle is? You're up against it already, but that's the nature of the beast. That's football. Uh, you don't need you don't need Andre Mariner um, running the game. You don't need Andre Mariner being the talking point, rightly or wrongly. That you know, look at the referee from that Stoke West Brom game. I, I don't even know who the referee was. Could anyone tell me? Yeah. Who you know why? Because he made the two red calls. There were two two red cards. Mark Hughes wasn't happy when it, but when is Mark Hughes happy about anything? <laughs> like the fact that Andrew Mariner um, has attracted so much abuse and attention, and th- most of the national press has felt compelled to slag us off and stick up for him says all he needs. As know. always, yeah. We'll have to move on, lads. That was very fascinating. Thanks very much. Um, I believe we're going to come to Sai next, who's going to talk us through what impressed you about the performance and what you're going to take out of it moving <laughs> forwards. It's really hard to not talk about that much and not. <laughs> Not include Mariner in my assessment. Um, Mariner. Well, that surely wasn't a positive, so it should be very easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think you'll agree with it. It was it was, a, it was a good performance from Newcastle, given given what happened. Um, the game was absolutely ruined, as as we'll all agree as well. It it wasn't a game of football, and for a neutral, it was actually crap. I came away feeling robbed. You know, just that wasn't a game of football. It was crap. But the performance from Newcastle itself was still quite encouraging. I really liked the way we handled ourselves with 10 men. Everyone was fighting really hard. Wijnaldum was, was, was excellent, tracking, always like, you know, we had the back four, and then the four in front of them were just moving side to side, just filling all the holes as best they could. And Arsenal, Tim Crowell's made a couple of decent saves, but really, they've not had any excellent chances. Their goal was a, was a farce. It was just a, a rebound that came back, and he still got off target, and it's gone in off Colaccini. Other than that, you can't really say, I mean, Giroud had a good chance towards the end. But so really, a good chance as well. yeah, a handful of decent chances against ten men for seventy-five minutes. I don't think they deserved a win. We deserved something like that game, even mm-hmm. then. And you just like the thing that if we'd had eleven men on the pitch, we probably would have run away with it. Probably won like, you know, comfortably. I, I would say go that far. But I'll, I'll just pick you up on something there before we went to Ben, who's going to talk about the negatives. <laughs> um, I thought eleven v eleven was was worrying. It was so. I mean, again, I slag Arsenal off all the time, but. I would really worry if I was an Arsenal fan about Arsenal was so superior at 11 v 11 and needed a massive slice of luck to win the game. It's like Arsenal's players literally took their foot off the gas. Apart from Sanchez, who was excellent, the rest of them just sacked it. Arrogant, nothing more than that. But again, Kulbach and Anita 
playing against a, a good team like that, they don't provide the back four with any real protection. No, they were no, excellent at Old Trafford, don't get me wrong. And the, it's just like, it's two players in the team who are pretty much operating in a very small part of the pitch. They're not getting forward, they're not making runs into the box, they're not supporting the front four, yet they're not really defend, you know, providing any cover. Yeah. I've, I've got serious reservations about this formation. Like, away from home, yeah, away from home against Man United, I can see that because they're just covering space. But at home against anybody, let alone a big club, when you've got to use the ball and you've got to take your chances, I worry about it. Uh, ben, why don't you talk us through things that kind of worry you moving forwards? I'd love to, but you just saw me point <laughs> jumping in when you. Well, go on, tell it again. Now I'm just going to say, I'm, I think the question asked us is, am I worried with that performance um, for the future? Yeah, and I'd say I'm not because I think part of it is there's still a lot of hangover from last season where um, players were just they didn't there wasn't any. Um, Sort of control over it. Nobody really knew what they were meant to be doing. I don't think, and it's McLaren having to remove the bad habits and getting a, a culture of responsibility in the team. Players are learning, like learning where they need to sort of be um, at times. And I think you can see already from the last two games, defensively we look so much more solid. Like we're, we're, realistically, we should have had two clean sheets in the last two games um, against Man United and Arsenal. And a lot of that is just to play. I mean, Hydora thought had a really good game on um, yeah, on did. Saturday compared to maybe a bit of a risk, a dodgy one the week or two, a couple before. Good on you, yeah. Um, and I just think it's um, it's it's just sort of getting that focus on being being tough to beat, which I think is the key to having any success. I mean, look at Southampton last season; they were challenging top four for a lot of the season with a ridiculous. I think they had the best defensive record in the league, and it's. It's having that being tough to beat mentality um, built on the back which championship teams are built on. Um, I think the worry is, as you were just saying there, is you're playing it without without a recognised defensive midfielder, a ball winner in callback and Anita. Anita is quite quick around the, the pitch and he's, um, he's he's good on the ball technically and things, but he's just not physically up to that role. He's not going to win a ball off anyone. He's not fast enough. Yeah. Um, Callback just isn't an athlete, but that's not his game. But he's obviously been asked to do a defensive role where he's he's worried about looking behind him and protecting the back four, and it's not his natural game. I would be a lot happier if we had a, a defensive midfielder and it's not Tiote because he's not athletic enough. He doesn't have the the f- sort of physical abilities to cover the ground. But we need someone next to um, Callback who's going to do his defensive duties basically. And then allow Colback to release forward because at the minute he's so worried about the defensive side, he's just not getting forward. I mean, we didn't have a shot on, well, we had, I think, one shot in the match, was it? Yeah. Um, and that was just because he's, his game is completely negated by the fact that he's, he's having to do a defensive role. Now, obviously, had we have had Mitrovic on the pitch, we probably would have been able to get forward a bit further, we would have been able to play balls up to him, he would have held on to it and it would have brought players into the game, and Colback probably would have been able to get forward a bit more. Obviously, the way it went, he, he was basically pegged, pegged into his own half. So, I think as well, much of it from what I've seen of him, he, he'll be he'll hold the ball up and he'll get Tovan, who I thought had a good game despite very good. Um, being in a very difficult role, being thrown up up top on his own. I, I thought handled himself well, still carried his threat. As you said, Wijnaldum, I thought was brilliant. Um, Were the three of them? Tovan, Wijnaldum and Sissoko put so. in a hell of a shift. Yeah, they did. Because they had a bit more defensive responsibility. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're, you're right, Dodgy. And I, and I, 
Well, so, if there'd been 11 men on the pitch, they might not have done so much on, in, on that side of their game. So yeah. in theory, yeah, I know what you're saying, where with 11 on the pitch, we weren't as comfortable as actually we looked with 10, where yeah. those three had to run themselves ragged. All three got subbed, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And replaced by Perez, De Jong uh, and... When oh, no. went deep, didn't he? But Perez, De Jong, I think, did Cissé make an appearance as well? Um, yeah. I think it's a shame that this red card just came when it did. We were talking about Anita and Kovac as our two are two in midfield on the radio show on Friday and I was concerned that they weren't going to be up to the job against the bigger sides like Arsenal and I think this game would have been the test of whether we needed to to bring someone in or not in my, in my opinion we do mm-hmm. but now there's no sort of evidence for McLaren to go off based on well, really on that on that result I know he's he's got evidence on previous games but Anita was injured in the first one Man United away isn't really something to go off for me, I agree with you that those two players don't Anita and Kovac don't have don't have the defensive attributes necessary to between them to be a midfield pairing. I think it's both of them would be hard done by to lose their place in the team. But I I think if we're going to progress, unfortunately, one of them has to. And we, I think it's really important that we bring someone in. Tiote is obviously not up to it anymore. He's he's, he's too stupid. He's too rash, and he's not fit enough or quick enough anymore to do it. He should be cut from the ranks. I think we should look to sell him as soon as possible. I think, I think he's a total waste of time. Media Beaver would have done that job. Young, if, if he'd been told he was going to be playing third fiddle behind Anita and Kovac, probably going to come in against the bigger teams, I think he would have stayed rather than go to Greece. Personally. Oh, he, he would have stayed. You know what's interesting, we'll have to move on, is that this lad, Keeman, Kevin, Keeman, is supposed to be away all the top clubs in France looking at him. And it seems to be a contract thing rather than a we want him to leave. It seems to be his contract's up. And if we're going to get half a million, a million quid, he could potentially be a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Ramon is still there. Fuck knows about him, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, I, Mike, are you there still? Have you been enjoying this Newcastle chat? Oh, I, oh it's, been, it's been a perfect, perfect little lullaby to, to have my have my kip in the first half hour of the show. So it's yeah. been Go on, then you're going to have the final word in Newcastle. Was it a red card and was Mariner a disgrace? Um, I personally wouldn't say it's a red card. Um, I, I do think that, that Mitrovic has got the, the potential to put himself in decisions where referees like Mariner would be happy to send him off. But um, I, I don't think there was a lot of downward force in it. I think, yeah, I'd say it's, it's a yellow card and a word of him in, in his ear. Um, uh, I think you've pretty much said it all on Mariner, haven't you? Yeah, he likes to be uh, likes to be the centre of attention, doesn't he? Cheers, Mike. Uh, we'll be back after this short break where Mike will be doing a couple of games and Mike will be talking us through the Premier League. Hey, so that time again, uh, it's Mickey's game. Much uh, criticised Mickey's game. <laughs> the first time I did this one, it got uh, deleted by our tech guy. What's <laughs> um, the reason? <laughs> so it, uh, I guess it debuted on the radio show on Friday. Did, I think did that get cut as well, or did, did we keep that bit in? I no, think that stayed. Did it? No, it's not there. Yeah. Are I you joking? Sure? <laughs> oh well. So it's never it's never been heard before then. Oh, well, apart from people that my fault that time when it got cut. All right. Well, you weren't there. Go on, Maggie. So tell, anyway, tell us the premise works. of the game is that I'm going to play a clip of a commentary from a famous Newcastle girl. Oh, famous in uh, what's it called? Parentheses. There's a one for you. Um, and whoever tells me the goal first wins. I need either the season and the player or just a, like a good description of the goal. It's parried! And Shearer scores! Be 
by the goalkeeper. Not Alan Shearer. Sorry, you think you've got it? That was Shearer as part of the 5 0 against Manu. Correct. What joke comment is that? <laughs> the cover that I found. Well, obviously, it's Tyler and Gray. Classic. Uh, absolutely loving it. That's what, that's what threw me. Fair enough. Mickey's game short lived this week. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a second clip coming. Okay, we'll bring it in. Gutierrez for Newcastle, who should have been home and dry. In goes the corner kick. Up go the heads, it's in! And Newcastle are surely into the fourth round of the League Cup with a fabulous header from Amiobi. Deep into the 90th minute. Look at this. Alex found himself the wrong side and Amiobi's head is absolutely textbook. That was Shula Amiobi scoring the winning goal 4-3 against Chelsea. Correct, yeah. Uh, round three of the League Cup 2010. Mm-hmm. That was Mickey's game. Yeah. Tell us what you think, listeners. He's been getting some cop for his games on Twitter <laughs> in, the, in the last few weeks. I don't think that's going to change yet. Like. <laughs> Was that the game, was it? That, that is the game. <laughs> what did you think was going on, Richie? <laughs> well, I don't know, just, just felt like it was... I don't know, just didn't feel like I had a chance. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. Mickey, would you like to stick up for your game? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right, lads, we're going to do my game at the end, but the much of Doggers game will, will, will pick this one up. World famous. <laughs> lads, who am I? Either current or formerly Cass United player. I was born on the 3rd of March, 1990. It's an easy one out there for your mathematicians wanting to work out his age. It's it's not really any more difficult than any other. Well, if he was born in 1968, how old was he? Uh, Okay, so he's 25. He is 5 foot 11 and a half inches tall. Did you both say callback there? I said Cabela. Cabela is wrong, so is callback. Right. Uh, I don't Is think. No, it's not. And also, Richie, I think I don't know if you've seen Cabela in the flesh, but he ain't five eleven. <laughs> um, I have represented France at every single youth team level, apart from the full national team. It's Obertan. Uh, it is not Gabriel Obertan. He's tall. Oh, yeah. It is Emmanuel Rivier. Well done, Ben. Is Rivier my age? Yeah, yeah. twenty five. So, no, I was trying to think who's played. I knew he played under twenty ones, but like he's yeah. He's not you were just shouting out every French player that's, that could fit in the no, age range. No, players that have played youth team French football. I don't think that was any better than my game. I don't like. I don't like the way it was managed though. That's ruined it. You've got to be able to shout in as soon as you know. Then it's fun. Yeah, but I knew if the answer to, straight away. If you have to wait until just, the end. We just rubbish. both knew the answer straight away. It's rubbish. You've ruined it. Right. Well, anyway, what 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 is rubbish is Rivier's career score record. He's only scored about forty goals in nearly like two hundred and fifty career games, which is just still better than that shite, French really. yeah. that they've that bought for thirty six million. I was say, yeah, yeah, he's and he's got one goal in twenty three appearances for Newcastle. Also, like just quickly on that, Man United are mental. They're <laughs> spending all this money on a teenager who might not come good, and they've also just let. Hernandez go, who's the only other striker, and Yanazai at the same and time. Got, and they've got Rooney, who just looks horrific. What are they doing? Uh, like, what they, are they doing? They, they could have had 72 Goufrans for that man. <laughs> <laughs> also sold you to hear the day before deadline day, um, when they could have just sold him like oh, four or five weeks ago. And then, like, yeah. Actually, you know, probably for the same amount of money and, you know. Yeah, it's, just, it's just madness. It's, it's baffling. 
what has happened to Man United. Like, this kind of shit never, ever happened to them. Like, all of a sudden, they're just becoming a joke of a club. It's just Woodward, Just loads of stupid, stupid decisions. I'd like to read you a quote from Louis Van Hall from the 24th of May this year. Oh, by the way, <laughs> have we tweeted that picture of his face? Yeah. <laughs> it's too good. Last year, we had the World Cup and a lot of players came in later. We made a lot of purchases at the last moment on 31st of August. So we had to 35th? 31st of August. <laughs> so we had to prepare our team in the Premier League and that cost us a lot of points. That's the difference with other teams. I hope we shall finish our business much earlier than that. Well done, Louis. You've just totally contradicted yourself. You haven't got the World Cup to blame. You are a farce. Mick, uh, Mike, Premier League happened this weekend and you're going to talk through your three talking points with us and the lads between us will come back at you. Uh, first of all, you told me you'd like to talk about the lack of home wins in the Premier League so far. Yeah, well, sorry to uh, to, to rake up our graves again, but I think your, your defeat at home to Arsenal kind of brings us nicely onto it. Um, being oh, a stat badly What is every game. is every home game being refereed by an idiot? <laughs> We're, we've done that. We've done that. Move on, dodgy. Let it go. <laughs> If we, if, no. if, we, if we look at it, I think out of the 40 matches so far, I know this stat's been bandied around a little bit over the weekend, there's only been nine home victories um, this season in the Premier League. So if you, if you look at the likes of Chelsea have been done at home to, home to Palace, Arsenal have been done at home to West Ham, who are perfecting us art, done Liverpool at home this weekend as well. And one reason that a lot of people give, you know, all, all these big sides are just getting into strides, slow start for, for various reasons. But I think if you look a bit more closely, there's a there's a wider theme um, developing um, throughout the Premier League, and I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a shift in the, in the power structure um, within the whole division. Um, if, if you look at those teams outside the the traditional big six. Now there's a lot of spending power just dripping, dripping its way down with the new TV deal coming in next year. Um, so you look at the players that influence those big games for the smaller clubs away from home this season. Andre Ayew at Swansea, he's going to be on big money, big signing on fee. Kabai at Palace, a player just every year ago touted around the Champions League teams, the likes of Arsenal or Tottenham looking to get into the Champions League for a player like that. Payet, who's got to West Ham created the, the most goal scoring chances in Europe the season before and these teams outside of the, the traditional top six in the Premier League I think now we're seeing being able to attract with the wages uh, you know aside from the transfer fees these these players that can actually make the difference away um, in, in these big games and uh, and perhaps even allow their managers to play a, a more adventurous style away from home at the likes of a Chelsea who, who, who can't necessarily get away with, with being uh, anything less than at 100% now Um but, but but I think at the same time, if you look at the likes of John Stones at, uh, at Everton and, and the West Brom case for Barahino, not only can they now bring in these players, they're actually being able to hold on a, another year or two to, to, to their stars. So traditionally, we're, we're, you know, when, when the likes of a Man United or a Chelsea have come knocking, one of these clubs like, like West Brom would, would just have to, have to fold. But now they've got that extra money with that ridiculous TV deal coming in at the end of the year. And they're they're allowed to say, well, no, this player's got four years on his contract. We're, we're going to hold on to him. It is, their value won't depreciate for another couple of years if they're on a long contract. Um, and and those contracts are starting to mean a bit more now, and less power in the, in the hands of the players. Um, and, and the clubs are, are getting more of a hand. So, I, th- I think rather than just putting this down to to the big clubs being, you know, 
sorting out their getting a house in order at the beginning of the season and having their own internal problems to deal with. I think I think these clubs lower down the Premier League have now got that power to bring in better players and a, a, and a better standard that that actually means these clubs can't get away with that 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 transi- transition as much as they maybe used to. Um, and I think over the next couple of years we might see actually a, a bit of a a bit of a concertina the, the gap lessening slightly between those very top clubs and those in the in the middle or, or lower echelons of the league. Mike, yeah, I actually agree with you. I've been thinking something like sort of similar over the past couple of weeks um, when I've been looking at the results and and also what was happening the last season as well. I, I kind of feel like that's that's sort of happening on a cyclical basis. You tend to find, at least my memory serves me to think, that the top teams will be absolutely miles ahead for a few years and then everyone will sort of catch them up a bit. Everyone will start spending a bit more money and catch them up a bit and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, those top teams will just go again and blow everyone out the water and buy three or four top-class players again and then just be miles ahead again. I think, I think what you're saying is true and I think it's happened before and I think it'll happen again. I think I think what we'll see maybe next year or the year after, maybe two or three years' time, is United, if they're still up there, if Van Gaal doesn't really the club, um, Chelsea and City will just go out and spend a huge amount of money, whatever whatever sum it will be by then, we don't know, and step it up again. But I, I, but I think at the same time, that's where the, um, you know, the, the, the point comes in about them being able to hold on to their better players now. So they can hold on to like the likes of the Stones for another year or two and get him, you know, play, fulfilling more of his potential, um, playing better and still not miss out. They can still get a big transfer fee for him um, down the line and in turn getting better players themselves. I, I think uh, I, I agree that, that that could well happen, Mickey. But I think there's a there's a point where like feasibly, how much more can they spend? They'll still get in top quality players, but um, they, they'll always buy the top top players anyway. I think the fact that these teams below them can now buy a better standard of player and hold on to their top quality players for another season, maybe two seasons, uh, I think that will that that will see things close. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Sorry. Yeah, just quickly, Mike. I mean, Man City must be not included in your your um, your, your rule there. Obviously, four games conceded, no goals. The board's still enough. Liverpool, you know, all these things kind of contradict what you're saying. But yeah, I, I kind of hope you're right. Because football has got so shit in the last couple of years, because of its predictability and the kind of the rest of the league just being bullied by the by the top four clubs, and it's it's, it's been so much worse for fans of people like Newcastle, where there's just no no to play for. I don't know, Sai. I think that's a bit strong. Like I think there's you know look at Everton, Newcastle in 2011, Everton the following season, Southampton, Southampton. Yeah. The, the Swansea look like at this season. I think there is scope for well managed teams. With the extra money to actually challenge these uh, cash-rich clubs, but none of the none of those teams that you mentioned. I mean, we were, we probably weren't the closest. Nobody's ever actually looked like breaking. breaking well, Liverpool the technically did break it and came second. Yeah, but they don't count to the day. Well, they're holding the Champions League for seven seasons, mate. But they're ca- they're kind they're of still the one team money, sort of in between, aren't they? They're, yeah, it's the top four. Not money then, without the results. And then there's Liverpool, and then there's everybody else. In my opinion, my other point to disagree with you, Mike, was just I don't think say. Um, you know, Leicester and Bournemouth winning at West Ham had anything to do with resources. I think that was West Ham's own ineptitude. I think of Norwich winning at Sunderland with predominantly the team that they had in the Championship wasn't much to do with money. I just think there's a lot of fixtures that have come up where especially teams like the West Ham's and the Sunderland who are so 
so so poor especially in front of their own fans and that's not anything new um, you know kind of especially teams at the start of the season no injuries no suspensions you're already likely to get on uh, you know closer games uh, I know that's I'm being general here and probably just disagreeing you for the sake of it but no one else is going to so you know Richie, no, I, I, I agree on certain points you need you need a bigger sample size than you know four, four round fixtures but I think it's more an interesting point rather than you know, the top teams and the rest of the league rather than your likes of West Ham and Sunderland who you know are regularly going to be shocked at home. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's as, um, there's that there's been traditionally that big gap between those and the you know the teams that will finish say top ten you know six down to ten. Um, I think the difference could be um, between you know that top six um, and, and teams aspiring to that who would usually just you know finish finish mid table and be happy with that. But yeah, that that's the that's more the point. But yeah, I see I see I see the point you're making. Richie, I'll give you the final word on this. Do you see where Mike's coming from? Uh, yeah, but personally, I just think um, take the take the kind of the the money aside and how you know the, the kind of the, the small teams if you like are able to kind of like have um, be a bit more bullish if you like uh, with the, the financial resources I think you know what we'll see at the end of this season is pretty much kind of like you know what we see every season you know the Chelsea will you know like guys of Chelsea who've had a pretty rough start this the start you know they'll they'll end up being up at the top there you know they'll be they'll be in the top three Man City will be there you know Man will be probably you know, knocking on the door of the top four there or thereabouts and you know you're gonna have the likes of Swansea who look like a good team who are probably gonna be, you know, breaking the top eight and you know I think I think what it comes down to is you've had some clubs who've probably had quite a well prepared uh, pre season. Um and you've got the likes of Chelsea who uh, um who have you know gone and did like you know, a big a big tour in uh, was it in America or I don't know where they were or Australia or so whatever, and they, they look knackered at the start of the season. They look like they kind of haven't properly prepared for the start of the season very as, as uh, like like they should have. But you know, I, I just think as we see every single season, there's always you know a club, um, you know one of the big clubs who has a who has a pretty poor start, but you know they, they're always the, the league will always kind of define itself um, by the end. That's why I'm not concerned that Newcastle in the bottom two. It doesn't really, it doesn't really kind of justify you know how well we've been playing and the, and the, and, the, and the tough start we've had fixtures wise. You know we, we will we will inevitably just see you know the the same kind of uh, you know the same kind of kind of um, format and structure of the of league positions as we as we do you know every every other season. Cool. I cool. think we'll move on. I think that was pretty comprehensive. Uh, Mike, I know that you wanted to talk to us about. The transfer window, which obviously ends tomorrow, I think this is another good chance for me to plug this Thursday's uh, podcast, which will be out Thursday night with me, uh, True Faith editor Mick Martin and uh, Times journalist George Cogan. We'll also broadcast this live on the radio show, seven o'clock Friday, Radio Northumberland. If you'd like to have your say and have a question answered for the podcast with George on Thursday, tweet us at TF Weekly Pod, or even better. Uh, go on to the True Faith website, www.true-faith.co.uk and leave a comment in the article about the uh, podcast recording below. I think there's already about 15 people commented and we'll try and get through as many questions as we can. On the transfer window, Mike, a lot of Premier League managers have come out saying it shouldn't be open during the Premier League season. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm just a bit sick of it, to be honest. Aside from all the uh, 
shite rumours going around every club about like just just forever because of Sky Sports News 24 hour coverage just continuous like Sky Sources understands that it's absolute bullshit but aside from that it's the managers that keep kicking off about it Martinez and Pulis in particular um, this transfer window about how it's affecting Stones and Berahino so much to you know think about the person behind the player and I can appreciate those pressures on them but it just seems to me that they're they're blaming the transfer window, uh, and it, it's an easy, easy excuse for a poor performance for their team. They're just setting themselves up straight away. Martinez the other day was saying how, how they're being preyed upon um, by Chelsea with Stones and, and calling for the Premier League to, to to make a stand and be the first league in Europe just to, to sack off the transfer window and get it all done before the end of the se- before the season starts. It it's just it's just ridiculous. It's like. You can complain about it, but there's no solution that they've come up with. If if you start as a Premier League say, oh no, we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna bother selling <laughs> buying and selling players, um, but you know before after the start of the season, no other league in Europe's gonna pay attention to that. It, it, it's just a, it's a ridiculous pie in the sky notion um, that I think just sets teams up to you know, to give them an excuse before for poor performances. I mean, they'll be the first team. I think if you get a team playing at the beginning of the season, you can see weaknesses. Everton countless times have brought players at the end of the transfer window. Sold players for huge money. Fellaini uh, really before making big money on players towards the end of the transfer transfer window. Uh, and I just think it's it, it's pretty disingenuous from these managers to keep keep kicking off about it when in reality the. If the Premier League says, "Well, we're not going to do it," then the, the, then the major leagues in Europe aren't aren't going to aren't going to aren't going to follow suit because they kick off a lot later, and there's absolutely no interest for them to to, to fall in line with, with what a few managers from from smaller clubs in the, in the Premier League want just because just because some, some big clubs shock horror are coming after their key players. I'm just 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 a bit fed up with it, really. I'll come in straight away there, Mike. I don't think it's fair that say Bournemouth. If Bournemouth lose Callum Wilson tomorrow. Bournemouth, who've done their business early, I know they've brought in a couple of players this week on loan, but the the core of the the core of, of, of Bournemouth squad is sorted. They've done their work right. Why should they be left to face the prospect of say a twenty million bid for Callum Wilson tomorrow, five minutes before the deadline, because a club like Chelsea or Liverpool are lazy, haven't done their business properly? And Bournemouth are going to suffer as a result. Bournemouth fans will suffer, and and in, unfortunately, in today's uh, financial game that we live in, they, they would have to accept the money. The player would make it impossible for them not to. Why should the cash-rich, lazy, badly run clubs, Spurs, uh, have, like you know, be, be, gain massively? And why should Bournemouth uh, lose out on that? Mickey, do you want to come back to me on that? Or? Yeah, I'll come back to you. Does I disagree with you completely? First we'll get, of all, we'll get Mike's view after. Uh, don't know what kind of person in the right mind is going to pay 20 million quid for Callum Wilson. All right, mate. It was um, just an example. <laughs> Sorry, 12.1 million. There, you got me. Um, but mostly I'm just, uh, like, you say it's it's not fair and people are doing their business properly. The transfer window is a transfer window and that's what everyone knows the rules are. If somebody wants to buy someone later on a transfer window, it's not... I'm not I don't think it's unfair. Rules, I, don't think, I don't think it's improper. It's just, it's just what it is. Like, there's no... I don't. I don't really understand so, your point. I don't think your so point's the valid. point is Mike's reason. Mike's disagreeing with the managers who are suggesting the transfer when they should close when the season starts. Something that I agree with. For the oh, reason I agree I've with. Given. I agree that it should close before the um, <laughs> before the transfer window. 
sorry, before the season starts <laughs> as well. But I, because it doesn't, I don't think it's fair for you to say that it's unfair that clubs buy players late in the window when the season's already started because that's what the window is. I'm that's not the saying they should be punished or they're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying it should be changed for that reason. Mike, what do you think of me point? Because I think me and Mickey actually agree. Just <laughs> like, Well, I, I think first off, um, it trickles down, doesn't it? So if someone does that to Bournemouth, Bournemouth uh, at the same time have got the opportunity to do that to a, to a team maybe in the Championship and, and are still their top striker. Um, but you just think... don't want to lose Daryl Murphy, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no chance, no chance. But uh, I think the point is, even if you say, OK, well, we're going to shut the transfer window before the season starts, right? Our season starts, say, three weeks before likes of Spain, Germany, the major leagues in Europe, two or three weeks earlier. Yeah. So how is that going to work if you say, bring the Premier League out, we won't conduct any business um, and there's, there's three weeks when the other European teams you know, are, are still in their pre-season so they're going to be doing their business there it, it's a bit out of kilter so I see no way yeah. in, in which the other major European leagues are going to agree to it and I think it will put the Premier League teams at a disadvantage from that point of view yeah, just, 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 just to come in like, uh, whilst I am kind of probably in favour for the transfer window to close before the season starts do you not you boys not agree that you know, especially for say a club like Newcastle, McLaren, you know, new manager, new coaching team, you know, um, preseason friendlies don't always, you know, as as your experience is not a is not a, a very strong gauge on how you can perform in the league. It, you know, it, you know, the preseason always will chuck up results of like random results of like you know you you're getting beat off, you know. MLS sides, whatever, but it doesn't actually, you know, that doesn't reflect like, the actual state of your, your team. But does that first three or four weeks not actually give you the opportunity or managers to actually see, you know, what what, what we, you know, what, what we really need? I mean, I'm talking, like, for example, Turvan, like, I don't know, I don't know how long that deal was kind of like genuinely lined up for, but do you not think maybe, you know, it, it kind of looking at how we played the first sort of two or three fixtures, you know, there was maybe still gaps in creativity in our team and a lot of calls for, like, yeah, we need to give Mitrovic some, some, some creativity. You know, why, why that's helped us kind of push the button and say, right, let's get this lad in because, you know, we, we've identified that, there's, there's, you know, that we still have that kind of shortfall in our team and if, and if you didn't have that kind of, if you didn't have that month sort of um, period of being able to kind of make that informed decision, then, then it potentially, you, you, you know, we're, we're going in. We're going until January without without actually having that player that, that will add some quality team. So I don't know. I don't know what you boys think about about that. I agree with that. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree. Um, I, I see. I don't really see what the problem is. I think Mike's right. Uh, some managers are using this as a as a as a lazy excuse almost for for some bad results. And oh yeah, our players have had their head turned. All this kind of nonsense. Um, the other thing is injuries. What, oh. what if you pick up a big injury in the first couple of games? Like. I'm yeah. sorry, but look at Bar- Barahino is basically refusing to play. I don't know what Tony Pulis is supposed to do in that situation. When you're saying lazy managers are because players have had their heads turned, he's literally refusing to play like until his future sorted. Yeah, well, that's, that's his problem. That, that's, that's a rare case. That, that's his problem. It's not David De Gea, Man United. <laughs> De Gea's not refusing to play. 
Yeah. He's yeah. been LV. refusing to play. Like he said, his head's not in the right place to play. He doesn't feel capable of playing. Was that not LVG saying that? Well, that's he, said, that. he said he wanted to play. Didn't he? I mean, yeah. Sorry, go and make a second point. So I just, I didn't, I can't agree with that. Yeah, I was just about to say, well, injuries as well. What if, what if you, you get a big injury in the first couple of games? Like then that's the whole point. Have, make sure you have cover. No, that's the whole point of the transfer window. It gives you that kind of leeway. If you start the season and something big, major happens, you, you get a little bit of time there to sort yourself out. August, I think, is a more than reasonable transfer window, and I just don't see what the big fuss is. I don't, I don't know why we ever got put a transfer window in place anyway. Just no transfers ever. <laughs> yeah, no transfers like our RFF. <laughs> I'm up for that. No, I think. I mean, a lot of it as well is the the reason it's an issue is because the media plays such a big role. How, yeah. how I mean, the, was, was Andre Marin involved somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. What do you mean? Just, just, just oh, yeah, Ben, on, on with your point because we're running out of time. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Liverpool, you wanted to talk about them? Yeah, well, I thought we'd, we'd talked uh, quite a length of recent weeks about the likes of Chelsea uh, and Arsenal um, struggling at home, but it, um, just a result really this weekend at home to West Ham got me thinking about. How vital um, Liverpool's home form is, perhaps more than any other team, um, for, for for Brendan Rodgers. Um, so looking at that, that awful finish um, to to last season, um, and it took a long time for the for the Liverpool owners to come out and, and, and fully back him. Um, his future was up in the air for for a fair while after after they got hammered at Stoke and, and had that dreadful run at the end of the year. Um, but I think particularly they, they they just scraped past Bournemouth at home. They, they weren't that convincing. Um, Bournemouth had a perfectly good goal ruled out. Um, West Ham, uh, from all reports I've read and the highlights I've seen, it just seemed like Liverpool played very naively um, at home, like um, like Arsenal did at home to West Ham, playing trying to play through a middle again against a team player in the strict four one four one four, and just sitting in, get an early goal, and they were just sitting in. They gave away a couple of poor goals, fine, but I think what struck me was the the. The, the lack of, uh, of, of another option for Rodgers, and I think at home in particular, regardless of the brilliant away performance, like I thought they, they looked very impressive against Arsenal. Um, I think at home, Rodgers, in the first few months of the season, is really going to have to lay down a marker and make Anfield a fortress if he's going to if he's going to you know put pay to the rumours in, in the summer and real stake a claim for holding on to that job. Because I think the first few results may well have. Um, May, may well have dampened that pressure a bit but if you look back over the summer and at the end of last season he was under a lot of pressure a lot to talk about him moving away um, so I think really that home form for Liverpool and getting that absolutely spot on is going to be critical and far more important to them than, than any other club in the league Ben where did you have Liverpool to finish? I think I said they'll be about six, top top six Sixth or fifth, I think. So basically, Rodgers is going to lose his job. Uh, probably. I think, I mean, it still comes down to the defensive frailties, doesn't it? I mean, you look at Lovren. Lovren. How, how many times, though, have if we said this about Liverpool, every year it's they can't defend properly. Basically, since Carragher's gone, and even it was relevant when he was there, but Lovren is a, just a liability. But a lot of it, I think, goes back to the fact that Rodgers wants these defenders to be bringing the ball out and sort of playing football. <laughs> you look at Chelsea. You don't. They don't like demand John Terry to be like trying to do anything that he can't do on the ball. Yeah, they don't want John Terry to be David Luiz. Exactly. Though. He's just not that type of player. Whereas Rogers insists on the likes of Sacco and Lovren, like just trying to do something that's not natural. And they're not good on the ball, and they constantly make mistakes, which just um, rebounds on them. Mignolet is just a bang average keeper. He's. I think um, he's worse than that. I think he's absolute. I think he's a chuck. He's he's a good shot stopper, but he's just not. 
a top quality um, keeper. I mean, you, re- you look at the rest of them. I mean, even Tottenham at Lor- uh, Loris at Tottenham is a far, far superior keeper at the Mignolet. Um, so they've got they've got issues at the back there, um, and they've they've got they've, they've always had one or two sort of individuals that pulls them out of the the mire. It was Suarez for a while, Gerard for years. Um, now they've seen they've found Coutinho. I mean, I think Benteke will be a good side for them. But can we also just give a shout out to Mark Noble's red card, which was it was just I don't even think it was a foul. And he's ended up getting sent off and. Like you say, Ben Coutinho being suspended for the Man U game, what a beast for them! I know. They're just, they're just that's he's basically, especially with Henderson being out as well. Who yeah. hasn't really had a very good start when he was, but he's got injured. They just haven't got a, a strong enough squad to really challenge for the top four, and it's it's got to come down to Rogers. He's just bought poorly. Fifteen million on Joe Allen. Yeah. Letting John Joe Shelby go for nothing. Yeah, Mine and Richie's favourite player. Good point. John Joe Shelby is. Five times the player, Joao is. He's one of the best young players in Europe, man. He's only twenty-two. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's that. He's twenty-two years old. For God's sake, like he's fucking mint. <laughs> I was always. I've always been confused about John Joe Shelby because when he was at Liverpool, he was like eighteen. He looked yeah. about thirty-six. Yeah, so he was, was, was like fifteen. No word of a lie. No word of a lie. Pete yesterday was watching the match with when oh. John will be getting on now. What is he, 30s? <laughs> no, mate. But you're missing a point. Can, can you remember the best thing that John Joe Shelby has done? I remember he got sent off at Old Trafford. Um, I think pretty rightly so. Yeah. And, and he went over, he, he was charging off the pitch and he went over to Ferguson, pointed his finger right in his face, went, that was fucking your fault, that. <laughs> <laughs> he like went over the top of someone, I think. <laughs> yeah, I remember it well. I think right. we'll have to call it a day there, lads. Uh, thank you very much, Mike, Richie, Sai, Mickey and Ben. It's been a pleasure. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud, TF Weekly Pod. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, and uh, we'll be back Thursday with the George Coggan podcast. Cheers. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.